8.48, science and technology time with Mark Zastro, uh, who's just come into the studio. And whilst I was searching on my phone for the paper airplane record, I saw in 2012 uh, there was a paper airplane that flew 69 metres. Wow. 69.14 metres. I don't know if it's been updated since then, but that's just incredible to me, Mark Zastro. I'm lucky if I can make it like three metres with the paper airplane in indoor conditions. Mm. Yeah, it can be tricky. Really get them stabilised, make them fly the way you want to. Mm. I think distance is harder than duration. Duration is a is a bit easier to shoot for. Well, I, I can also manage maybe one and a half seconds if I'm lucky. <laughs> if I'm lucky. I, again, I go further by scrunching up the paper and probably also longer if I just get a flat piece of paper and drop it from the ceiling. <laughs> um, especially if it's like two stories. Uh, anyway, let's uh, discuss... A story I mentioned briefly earlier on when I said we're going to be talking to you about it. Uh, The Russian space agency is saying that a hole that we talked about um, at its International Space Station component was caused by humans, not a collision with tiny space debris. Because this is the one that we talked about where they had to plug the hole with their own thumb. That's right, yeah. So uh, just to walk back through this, uh, two Thursdays ago, mission controllers discovered that the air pressure in the International Space Station had been dropping slightly as if some air were escaping. So they radioed up to the astronauts, told them to search the space station. They went around to each module. Uh, And eventually, they did find this small two-millimeter hole in the hull of the Russian Soyuz spacecraft, which was docked at the station. Uh, That's the capsule that the astronauts and cosmonauts uh, come up to the station in and and leave, go back to Earth in. And uh, luckily, they were not in any real danger. The leak wasn't that fast. They were, as as we said, able to plug it with their thumb, literally. uh, And then they seal it up with some tape and some sealant. So the question was, what caused it? And initially, the Russian space agency said that they suspected a micrometeoroid had struck the craft. Uh, So a tiny space rock or a piece of space debris, which would make sense because it's happened before. Uh, We've seen it uh, not to the station itself, but to some of its solar arrays. But then NASA posted a picture online of the hole and it didn't really look like the kind of impact hole that you would get if you know something went blasting through the International Space Station you know, at several kilometers per second. It actually looked like a perfectly round circular drill hole. And in fact, you could even see where it looked like whoever drilled the hole had sort of scraped the bit across the hull right next to the, uh, to the hole as if uh, this, that person had an unsteady hand. And finally, last week, the head of the Russian space agency, Dmitry Rogozin, confirmed that it was indeed a drill hole. So the question is, was this just an error? Could it have been sabotage? If the latter, what what do you really gain from a minuscule drill hole? Right. Uh, so, yeah, Rogozin himself has said that they're looking at basically two possibilities. One, that it's a production defect on the ground. But he also did say explicitly to the media that they were not ruling out deliberate interference in space. So, in other words, that a cosmonaut or astronaut would have drilled the hole deliberately like you say, that's really hard to imagine what motivation they could possibly have to breach the hull of their own spacecraft. But also, you, I mean, what, you make the air pressure drop slightly. You're not threatening lives 
particularly are you with a tiny hole uh hope well hopefully not i mean you would probably want to do it so that you wouldn't and they would probably you know know that if yeah mm-hmm. you make a hole small enough you wouldn't be but that it would be detected by by mission control essentially they would see that yeah that drop in air pressure trying to send a threat or a message or right something. exactly i mean that's the only possible thing i can think of or you know that i've seen anyone propose is that maybe they were trying to make a protest or you know about conditions in one of the space agencies uh but it you know even in zero gravity just thinking about it physically it'd be really hard to sort of actually drill that hole if you're weightless how do you apply pressure to you know push the drill into the into mm, the wall good point really hard to imagine so a lot of the attention is now turned to the other possibility which is a, a uh, an error on the ground and uh, a lot of what we know here comes from russian media stories they've actually been reporting that energia which is the company that manufactures the craft they internally apparently they have identified someone who they think made that mistake they may have Uh, drilled that hole by mistake and then tried to cover it up with glue and then the theory is is that when it got to space the glue worked its way out and um, apparently according to one russian report this kind of incident has happened before at energia where uh, after a ship came back to earth they uh, discovered that there was a hole that someone had accidentally made and covered up with epoxy wow hard to believe but there is always going to be a, a weird explanation to this uh, or, or an explanation of a cover-up of some kind. Now, coming back to Earth for our next story, scientists are trying to develop DNA analysis to determine someone's age. But the reason for these tests is becoming controversial because they'll be used to test whether refugees are truly children. That's right. Uh, Nature reported last week that scientists in Europe are working hard to develop epigenetic tests in response to the refugee crisis. And so the goal here is to try to develop a test that would help determine whether an asylum seeker is truly the age that they claim, because if you're 18 or under, you get priority status. So the way these kinds of tests work is by looking at your epigenome, which is the sort of layer of molecules outside your DNA. It helps uh, determine which genes get expressed. And though, of course, your DNA doesn't change over the course of your life, uh, at least not much, we hope, your epigenome does. So methyl molecules uh, sort of gradually and naturally build up uh, in your epigenome over time. And so by looking at these changes, seeing how much... uh, has built up. Uh, you can put a rough estimate on how old a person is, but there are lots of scientists who feel this raises ethical issues because they're developing a test that could be used to deny refugees asylum status. On the other hand, some feel they have a responsibility to develop those tests to fairly apply the rules. But also questions of accuracy, because you're not likely to need this kind of test if you're looking at a five-year-old. But if you're looking at someone who's possibly 18, right possibly 22, let's say, Mm -hmm. these tests aren't going to give you uh, a month and a day that they were born. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, the average error right now is around one year. But in some cases, they can be as great as five years off for the outliers. So uh, as you say, it's uh, hard to put a put a put an exact date on it. And so as many scientists say that this has to be looked at as only one indicator, one part of this process in determining uh, someone's status. Finally, Mark, if you could choose between a Nobel Prize or a Breakthrough Prize with a $3 million payout, what would you choose? Uh, Well, I'm never going to be uh, in line for either of those. But, um, you know, you'd have to say, well, the Breakthrough Prize is the more lucrative one. Yeah, $3 million award. (laughs) But the reason I say it, and we we don't really have time to 
to dwell too long, but British astronomer Jocelyn Bell has long been considered one of the most deserving scientists to have never won the Nobel Prize, but she has got the breakthrough. That's right. She is the one who discovered pulsars, which are exotic, dense stars that rotate very quickly. Uh, very interesting. She was the first person to actually detect these objects and analyze them when she was a graduate student uh, in 1967, but then she got passed over for the Nobel. So it's good to see her get the breakthrough. Yeah, congratulations to her. And don't put yourself down too far, Mark Zastro. Still plenty of time, hopefully, in your story. I haven't done a DNA <laughs> test on you, but I'm quite sure of that. Mark Zastro, science journalist.